Go to Proverbs chapter number three this morning. Proverbs chapter number three. We began a series last week called Ten Choices. And last week and the next few weeks are very foundational choices, but I think they're, they're extremely important choices. And we're going to turn our attention after a few foundational choices to some relational choices, uh, all of which will be important. But uh, they, we do know that not every choice has equal value. You make a lot of choices in a given day or week, but not all of them hold the same value or move the needle as far as some other choices. So what are some uh, choices that we need to make for ourselves? So last week we talked about just taking responsibility for ourselves. And looking at Ezekiel 18 and how if you think that you're determined and you think that you have no choice, then that inevitably has a domino effect on the rest of your life. If you think that biologically or racially or by my birth order somehow I'm determined and I have no free will and it's not really up to me to choose, then, then this whole series falls flat and you will choose nothing. But we know that we are going to give an account of ourselves to God one day and it is up to us to take responsibility and to choose for ourselves. So we have to know and believe with all of our heart that the choices are ours to make and we need to make the right choices. So we need to start there. This morning I'm going to talk very foundational but I think very important just on this choice. I choose to trust God. I want to read Proverbs 3, a very famous verses, verses 5 and 6, and we'll launch from this passage. Proverbs 3, verse number 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I want to start this morning just by helping you to see when it comes to the choice to trust God, I want you to see that the choice is actually yours. There are many people, both secular and religious, who thinks that when it comes to choosing God, that God is not really someone that you choose. The secular mind many times thinks that God is just some sort of vague, foggy notion, and you either believe in God or you don't believe in God, and nothing can alter that. That many people secularly will shrug their shoulders at God and say, well, you know, I've never really had faith. I mean, and not at least faith like my mom has or my sister has or my aunt has or my friend has. Sure, in, in times of crisis, I kind of I reach upward and I do that, but then it just kind of fades away as the crisis goes away. And I, and I feel kind of numb towards God. And I think that this faith thing is something that you're just kind of born with. You know, you're, you're born with brown hair or blue eyes. And in the same way, you're either born with faith or you're not born with faith. And, and I don't know that... That, that I can choose God. And, and when it comes to God, the choice is yours. And choosing God is a huge choice, one that makes a vast difference, one that is, is far greater than even who you will marry or how many kids you will have or what career you have, that there, that there is a choice to be made. God told the children of Israel in Jeremiah 29 that he said, I want you to know the thoughts that I think towards you. And I want you to know that my thoughts are thoughts of peace. They're not of evil. And I want to give you an expected end. And he says, then shall you call upon me. You shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. You pray, I hearken. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. God tells the children of Israel, and I think that the same message could be communicated to anyone who wants to know God or pursue God, that come after me and see what you will find. Come after me and see if I, don't, if I don't show myself to you that you can choose to pursue me. But even religious people many times will contend, well, didn't God choose us? 
Did, did I actually have a choice in the matter after all? Didn't he choose us? And to say that God chose us is biblically accurate. That's what the term elect means. It means chosen. But it doesn't change the fact that you chose him. Both are true. And to teach one to the exclusion of the other is a fallacy. Just like you chose your wife and she chose you. At least I hope she did. That's the way it should have worked, right? Any, any real relationship to say that someone chose but the other one did not choose back is, is actually not a real relationship. And I want to come at this today from the angle from which we experience it. And the, the angle from which we experience it is our own. And I'm not trying to say that God is not in charge, but the fact that God had the original choice doesn't change the fact that we choose and we can't lose our sense of responsibility in the ocean of God's sovereignty. You, you can fall into the trap of using God's sovereignty as a cop-out and to, and to shirk my responsibility and to act like I have, I have no choice to make. And the fact of the matter is that you're not born with faith or not. You, you, it's not that you don't have a free will and that you're some sort of robot and you have no inability to choose. You get a choice. This is why biblically you would find a litany of different stories and testimonies in the Bible of King Agrippa telling Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian, of Stephen being stoned and telling them, why do you resist the Holy Ghost, of, of even Peter and Paul when they preach, encouraging and imploring their audience often, believe, believe, trust, put your faith here because there's a choice to be had. This is why Joshua in the Old Testament can stand up to the children of Israel and he can say to them, and he can encourage a choice, and he'll say to them, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, look, if it seems like a bad idea to serve God, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. You want to choose false gods? Choose them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He stands up, and I can picture Joshua there, Caleb next to him, and him saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he didn't look over at Caleb and say, but actually they have no choice in the matter God's choosing. That's, that's not how it went down. It wasn't if it seemed evil unto you, but actually, you know, it's, it's if you have faith or not, if you were born with it, and really you're just along for the ride here. That's, Joshua says, what's it going to be, boys? The, the, the idols that your fathers had or the one true God, make a choice. The decision is yours. Choose God or not. I'm choosing for my wife and my children and my house. I'm choosing God. So understand when it comes to God, you're not just floating along the lazy river of religion or life and that you have no choice to make and you have no responsibility in the matter. You do. The choice is yours. Secondly, and this is foundational, but it's worth noting early on in this series, there is a God. Now, I'll be quick here because I understand, number one, that according to surveys, 90% plus of Americans still believe that there is a God, and I understand my audience, that the vast majority of you would believe in a God, but I will, I will at least hit this. Whether it's something that you're wrestling with, you're here, we have people here all the time that are seeking, wrestling, are, are questioning this idea of is there a God or not, so if that's you, this is for you. If you're a young person in the room and you've begun to, to think that my science teacher is, is telling me this and this and this seems plausible, maybe that's you. Perhaps you just have a friend or a relative or a coworker who you're dialoguing with and this will be of substance to you. But whatever you need, let me share a few reasons and I will be very brief, these, these are not all-encompassing by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a God. Scripture teaches that and testifies to that. Now, 
If you're not a Christian, I understand your conscience is not held captive to the Word of God, and you probably don't care what Scriptures teach. And I don't fault you for that. I wouldn't care either if I wasn't a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you have to at least understand that you're only four words into the Bible until you get to God. In the beginning, God. It's very clear, obviously, that the Bible teaches that there is a God. But even if you don't have the supreme elevated view of Scripture, you at least have to recognize that the Bible has had an unparalleled impact on the world. That the claims of the Bible have satisfied some of the greatest minds in all of history and that it is the bestseller of all time. Like even someone that doesn't, you know, supremely appreciate the Bible, you at least have to tip your hat to it and say, okay, it's at least worthy of my consideration. The fact that it tells me there is a God is worth considering and putting into the equation if I'm wrestling with this idea. But I would say beyond Scripture, just the scope of creation teaches that there is a God. It doesn't take you very long to look at the cosmos and all that they're in and try to wrap your mind around something that is mind-boggling and, and to look at that and to think something had to make this. There are many secularly that will say this is the one time where we got something from nothing, which makes no sense. If I pull out my car keys and hold them in front of you and say, look, this came from nothing, you would say that's... that's that's foolish. That's stupid. I would say, okay, the car keys didn't, but my car did. That came from nothing. You'd say, no, that's, that's even more dumb. So, okay, my car didn't, but an airplane did, or, or a skyscraper did. The, the larger in scale I got, the stupider it would become that something came from nothing. But we can take the cosmos, which is the largest scale of all, and then just slap all that came from nothing, and all of a sudden that starts to be plausible or, or logical some way, somehow, and it, and it makes no sense. And this is why the Bible can tell us very plainly that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night uttereth knowledge. You just have to open your eyes and look around. Day, night, doesn't matter, 24-7. There's a big ad that there's a God all around us, and it's creation itself. And God's word and his world are full of advertisements about him. The best marketing strategist in the world should take a, a page from God because he has marketed himself beautifully all over everything. It screams that there is a God. But even as with the, the best marketed products, you have to choose to buy that product, so too with God. He's marketed very well, and he's advertised very well, but you have to choose that there is a God. And the fact is that many people don't want to choose God because that does come with heavy implications. And I, I get that. I personally have embraced those implications, but I get that we would be reticent to the idea that there is a God because suddenly it shifts the narrative to now there is a creator, now there is an authority, now I'm subject under him, now I will give an account to him, and that is something that we don't want to wrestle with many times, and the Bible talks to that. It says as much in Romans 8 that, that those who say that there is no God and want to worship the, the creation more than the creator they do this because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 18 of Romans 1 says it as they hold the truth and unrighteousness, meaning they hold back, meaning that, that there's, there's evidence they don't want to submit, that they suppress it, that they don't want to admit to it. And, and the Bible is very clear that just the scope of all that is teaches us and screams at us that there is a God. But beyond that, just the structure of creation itself tells us that there's a God. Not just scope, not just size, 
But the intricacies, the, the obvious design features, the, the way that it all fits together and the way that it all works. You could read a lot of books along these lines. You could visit a lot of websites along these lines from people that are, that are smarter than me scientifically who will explain it better than I can. You honestly can. You can go to reasons.org and you can find Hugh Ross and his team of astrophysicists who are, who are Christians who, who will give you all kinds of scientific explanation for how this works together. But the bottom line is that, that you know if you go macro or micro, big or small, no matter where you look, anywhere in between, you find design, you find structure, you find order. Ross wrote an article called The Fine-Tuning for Life on Earth, and he gave uh, at least 59 reasons why things are, are finely tuned. And if one of these reasons were off, then life would no longer exist. Things like the Earth's proximity to the sun. If we were a few degrees closer, we would be incinerated. If we were a few degrees further away, we would be frozen to death. Most planets have some sort of kind of elliptical orbit where our orbit is, is almost exactly circular, giving us great consistency in our seasons. And, and there's not a, a great fluctuation of temperatures, which, which makes it just right. The speed of us orbiting in that, in that circular fashion is 68,000 miles per hour. I'm not even sure scientifically how they calculate all that, but I trust the math. It's 68,000. A little bit faster, a little bit slower. There's no life. I mean, there's, you could go on and on and on with all the intricacies that are there, but all of it screams that this isn't coincidental, that we're not accidental, that it isn't happenstance, that all of this came into existence with, with design behind it, that there is a designer above and in it all. And we, we know this to be true. We know that if we went outside this morning and on the lawn there, there were standing thousands of dominoes upright in perfect order and succession, that you would walk out and you wouldn't think, oh, it's been stormy and rainy. The winds just blew some dominoes up in perfect order. You would know somebody did that. You know, a tornado doesn't go through a junkyard and make a Mercedes. You can't throw a stick of dynamite in a printing press and make the Declaration of Independence. That's not the way it works. Order doesn't come from chaos. It takes design. It takes effort. It takes someone doing that. And the structure of all that we have screams at us that there is a God. But even beyond all of that, deep inside of us, the soul testifies that there's a God. And deep inside of every person, including you and including me, there is a longing for the God that made you because he made you that way. There is a God-sized hole in your heart that can only be filled through him and most specifically through Jesus Christ. And if you wrestle with this, I encourage you just to think, if you're alone with your thoughts, do you feel that something's missing inside? Do you feel like something is slightly out of tune internally? If you don't believe that there's a God and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, I know you feel that way. I know you do. I did too one time. Because we're made to feel that way. We're created to feel that way deep inside of us. We've been stamped with the image of a creator. We have a conscience. We have a moral compass. There's billions of people on this earth. And no matter which corner of the globe they're born into, we have the same moral DNA. We're made to know what's right and what's wrong. And you can thank God for that because he put his image inside of you. The Bible teaches that those that are atheists that it uses the term fool or foolish, that it's foolish, but it says specifically that they say in their heart that there is no God, that deep inside they want to wrestle and they want to contend with this. And that's really where the battleground is, is deep inside of us. But deep down we know that there's something missing if we don't have a relationship with God. We know that there is.
And this is such a foundational choice. Because if I believe that we are evolved, if I believe that we came from animals, then I have every right to act like an animal. I have every right to shirk my responsibility. I'm just a, a product of, of some sort of you know, ooze that, that somehow evolved into me today and I'm just along for the ride and dust to dust, I'm gone and it's, and it's over. And my choices really don't matter. There's no eternal consequences and, and I'll act like that. But if there is a God, then I'm created and there's purpose and there's design and I'm valuable and all of a sudden I have a responsibility, all of a sudden I have a purpose for my life. It changes the narrative completely whether I believe that there is a God or not and there is. But I would say this, the choice is yours. There is a God, but God is trustworthy and this is probably where the rubber meets the road. You have to choose the right God and you have to see him the, the right way. There are a lot of people that believe in God generally and I, I mean it in the sense of choose the right God and that the God of the Bible is a different God than the God of the Koran and it's not all roads leading up the same mountain. I mean that, but beyond that, I mean you have to have a proper view of God. I meet Christians all the time who have such a skewed view of God. In my own life, I have to wrestle at times with what I'm trying to process or what I'm trying to deal with. And more often than not, it comes back to my view of God was improper and I didn't see him for who he really was. And many Christians have these, have these caricatures painted in their mind of God and who he is, which is so unhealthy and so inaccurate that they begin to find God to be untrustworthy. Many Christians think that God is a testy God, that he's some sort of cranky deity. That he's some sort of God that is in a bad mood, or if he's not in a bad mood, then he's ir easily irritated at me. And we try to project God's perceived mood onto ourselves and try to make decisions in that way. That yeah, I, I think he's happy with, with me today, or at least he might be. Now, now that I think about it, I'm not sure if he's happy with me today. And maybe he wasn't yesterday. I just, I just, I just don't know what God's dis disposition is towards me. Like, that God's unpredictable. Like he's some sort of emotional basket case. Well, I may get $10 million today for my long lost uncle who leaves me an inheritance, or I may get a lightning bolt. I'm really not sure which one. Um, probably has to do with how many chapters of the Bible I read. One chapter, lightning bolt. Two chapters, $10 million. It just depends on what I do. And then I'll, then I'll make God happy. Many people come to church or read their Bible or pray out of a sense of I'm trying to earn God's favor. I'm trying to make God happy, not for your salvation, but you're trying to get a smile upon your life. And it's so, it's so unhealthy and it's so wrong. It's false. It's a lie. The Bible is abundantly clear. No matter who you are, God loves you. He does love you. He cares for you. He loves you so much that he died for you. If you doubt it, he proved it. God proved his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. So he, he does absolutely love you. But I can tell you this. I can tell you the temperament of God, biblically. Not because, not because I'm great, because the Bible says so. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible is abundantly clear. It is, it's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because it's not pretty. But the Bible is abundantly clear that he sees your sin that the wrath of God abides on you, that you are at odds with him, not peace, 
That there is, if you were to stand before him today, there is eternal condemnation and punishment in hell that awaits you if you have not chosen Jesus. But if you have chosen Jesus, you are made the righteousness of Christ. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees his son in his perfection, that he isn't mad at you, that you don't have to worry about wrath, that you don't have to worry about judgment, that you don't have to worry about peace, that you don't have to work to earn a smile or to earn his favor. He's extremely predictable. It all boils down to what you choose to do with Jesus Christ. And you can, you can know if there's a smile or a frown, if I could put it that way, based on what you've done with him, and, and all the other little intricacies are not going to matter. It's based on what you do with Jesus Christ. So don't think that God is some sort of testy, cranky God who hasn't made up his mind and is fickle. Don't think that God's a tame God. By this I mean many Americans have invented this God who is... I got faith now, so God's on a leash and God obeys my commands. I tell God I need money, God gives it. I tell God I need my health, God gives it. Whatever I need, God gives it to me. He's my genie. I, I, I have figured out the, the key to success. Grant my wishes, God. Okay, bye. See you later. God is now, I'm in control. I'm in the driver's seat. And now God is subject to my whims. There are many preachers that peddle this nonsense. And that's, that's not the truth. You're not in control. You're the creation, he's the creator. You're the sheep, he's the shepherd. That's the way it works. He's, he's, not, he's not tame to you in the sense of he does whatever you tell him to do. Some people think that God's tricky. Like we play Simon Says, you know. Simon Says, lift up your right hand. Simon Says, lift up your left hand. Put your right hand down. Ooh, gotcha, right? Like somehow God's playing games with us. That he wants to be difficult to understand and difficult to figure out. That's entirely the opposite of what the scripture teaches. This is why we have his word, so we can know the nature and character of God. This is why Jesus came in the flesh, to redeem us, certainly, but also so that the fullness of God was manifested bodily, so that we could see the, the fullness of God come, that you want to know what God is like, you can look at Jesus. It's not difficult to, to figure out. It's not supposed to be a game. It's not, well, I'm searching for God's will. I hope it's over here. Maybe it's under the guitar. Maybe it's, where is his will? What does he want from me? I have no idea. This is tricky. And, and then I figure it out, and then God changes it on me all of a sudden. That's not the way God works. It, it's not a game. He's immutable, meaning he's consistent. He doesn't change. He's not trying to trick you or dupe you or make this difficult on you. You can know that the true God, the real God, is a trustworthy God. A God that you can anchor off to. A God where you can put your faith and your trust and you can know that he's worthy of this. And it isn't just, I gotta trust in something, so let me choose God. He seems like the best option. Like of all my options on the table, God seems to be like the best one. It's like I'm buying a used car from a used car lot. No offense if you're a used car salesman. But I'm going to a car lot, and there's this whole collection of unreliable vehicles, and I better try to figure out which one is most reliable. That's, when you're choosing God, that's not, how it's, that's not how it's going down. This isn't just the best of many faulty options. God is entirely trustworthy. You can trust him. This would cue a whole series on the nature and character of God and his attributes, which I don't have time for, so I'll just give you a couple in passing. You can know that you can trust God because he is loving. God, the Bible teaches in 1 John 4 that God is love. And you can know that. You can, you can breathe that in. That's, that's okay. Many have taken that too far. I'll get to that in a moment. But don't be scared of that. God is love. That's a beautiful thing. He does love you. Some of you have had things happen in your life 
even recently, that have come your way, that you've wrestled with this, and you've, you've said, how, do, how does God love me? It doesn't feel like he loves me right now. I feel pain. I feel hurt. I feel like something's coming to my life. Understand that God doesn't pamper you. His love is a, is a very protecting love, but it doesn't prevent all hardship and all pain from coming into your life. Biblically, we find that pain was allowed into Paul's life by God to humble him. That pain was allowed into Jonah's life to restore him. The pain was allowed into Job's life to refine him. Maybe it's one of those reasons, maybe it's some other reason. I, I don't know exactly, and that's not exactly the scope of my sermon today, but I can promise you that he loves you with a love that wants to perfect you, that wants to mature you, that wants to help you, that wants to grow you. There will be difficult times, yes, but you can trust him through those times and know that he has your good in mind and also his glory above all that, and that you can trust him through it all. McDonald said it this way. He said, your loving, protecting father measures out the trial carefully and watches over you every moment. According to Job, his eyes are upon you. According to Psalms, his thoughts are never far from you. According to Matthew, he counts the hairs on your head. According to Psalms, he, save your, he saves your tears in a bottle. According to Jeremiah, he loves you with an everlasting love. So trust him. Know that he loves you unconditionally. He knows you perfectly, but he loves you unconditionally which just that alone should cause us to awe and wonder because we all know that we're not innocent little puppies. God knows you perfectly, meaning all the stuff you don't want people to know, but yet he still loves you unconditionally. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting love. If you, if you wonder about this, go to Luke 15. Read the story of the, of the prodigal son. Look at the father and what the father's love is and how unconditional it is. And, you, and you'll, find, you'll find the love of God displayed there in that story. But I will say this, don't get off kilter when it comes to God's love and equate it to him being passive on sin or equate it to, to all grace, all love, just passive because God is also just and those two mingle together perfectly. They're not oil and water. They mingle together perfectly. That God is just and you need this. I need this. Otherwise, what do we do with all of the injustice in the world? What do we do with all of the hurt, all the times that someone is unfair to us or maligns us or does something? Either I'm going to take it in my own hands and get back at them, or I can trust a God who's just and who's fair and I can turn it over to him. I personally believe that we have, as Americans, the best justice system ever invented. That is not to say it's perfect. That is not to say that there aren't justices who are unjust or that there is not injustice inside of our justice system because there is but I think that we have as good a system as has ever been constructed we we love in our society to have law and order we do have a system where by and large justice prevails where the good guy in wins at the end of the story right Batman and Spider-Man never die although they should they end up winning and conquering in the end and justice is served and Joker is put in prison or whatever happens. That's, that's the way it goes for us and we like that. But what if you lived in a society that had no justice whatsoever, which has been true for most of history? This is why you can find in the Old Testament a Naboth who has a vineyard and King Ahab says, I like your vineyard, let me buy it from you. And Naboth says, no, 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 not for sale. So what does King Ahab do? Cry? No. 
Well, he does cry actually a little bit, but then he kills him. He says, I'll just kill you. I'll take the vineyard. And the king acts unilaterally with no justice served to him, with no one holding him accountable. I do whatever I want. And that's been true for most of history in most societies. That there were a select number of people that could do whatever they wanted and it didn't matter. You need a just God for that. You need a God that you can know, that you can turn it over to, who will handle it fairly, which is why we're told in Romans 12 that we should not avenge ourselves, but we should, we should not give place unto wrath. It's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God says, I got this. I'm in control, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm fair, I'm balanced. I will, I will handle this rightfully. This is why Jesus can go to the cross, and he can be reviled, but he doesn't revile again. He can, he can suffer, but he doesn't threaten. Why? Because he commits himself to him that judges righteously. He was able to turn, to turn the case over to God and say, Father, you judge righteously. I know that you're just and I know that you're right. But most of the time when you start talking about the justice of God or the wrath of God, secular people get angry and Christian people get nervous, which is just strange to me. Because it's entirely biblical and we just... We like justice. Like in real life, we like just judges. I was getting the oil changed on our van this week, and I was sitting there at Highland Tire, and here on the TV came the advertisement for a new season of Judge Judy. It was a terrible advertisement, but I remembered it. And I don't know how the seasons of Judge Judy run, how long they are, whatever. I don't really watch Judge Judy, and I don't really know how fair she is or is not. But I know that there's something appealing about a lady who's going to judge and stand up and try to adjudicate fairly and say, this is right, this is wrong, no, you're in the wrong, you pay the money, you be quiet. You... There's something that appeals to us about that because we love just judges. Half of our TV shows are about cops and law and order. Like, we can't get enough of this. It's every, every fall, every spring, you turn around and there's some new show or at least several new shows that are, that are advertising for some sort of justice or law that appeals to us on the inside. We've invented like 18,000 versions of CSI. Like one wasn't good enough. So we had to make Vegas and then New York and then New Orleans and then Punxsutawney and then Vandergrift. And then <laughs> if you're from Vandergrift, I'm sorry, you need CSI. But <laughs> we invented all these. Because we want it, we crave it, we want more and more and more of it. It's what we like, and we should like it. It's normal to like it. So know that you can like and you can trust God who is, yes, he's loving, but he's a just judge at the same time. That you can, you can place all of your trust and say, Lord, my heart and my mind and my cares rest with you. I will put you in control of my finances. I will put you in control of my priorities. I will put you in control of my life. If you want to take me a different direction or choose a different career path, whatever you want, God, I trust you. I put it in your hands. I am going to trust you with all my heart, not partially, not 75%. I'm going to take all my heart. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to lean to my understanding, but I'm going, to, I'm going to trust you to guide my steps and my paths. That is, that's our goal as, as Christians to get to a place where we say, God, you rule and reign. You sit on the throne of my heart. You be in control. And I'm not doing this just because it's my duty and I think, oh, he's going to be unfair with me. I'm doing this because I know I can trust you. 
I know I can be secure in you. I know that I can rest in you. I know that you're trustworthy. You're not trying to hurt me. You're not trying to trick me. You're not trying to dupe me. You're not trying to get back at me. I didn't, I didn't make you unhappy, so now, you, now you're throwing some lightning bolt at me. That's, that's not God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's fair. And you can know that you can trust him. You can choose to trust him. It's your choice. It's your choice to look and to say, am I going to anchor off to him? He made you. He, know, he, knows, he knows you better than you know yourself. So you can know that here is a God. And that's, that's obviously not all of God. It's a very, very, very small portion of what I even understand of God. And there's a lot that I don't understand. But you can know that God is a God, that you can say, Lord, whatever comes my way, whatever's in my life right now, all of it, I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to bank on you. I'm going to look at your word and let it guide me. And Lord, you be in control. I hope that that's, I hope that that's your heart. I hope that personally, I pray that for your family, I pray that for our church, that we can say, Lord, rule and reign. Lord, you have the reign. Sit in the driver's seat. We trust you. We know you're good. And we're going to allow you to be in control.